Good day, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you may be. It's John Summers, the motoring historian. Um, with his old school friend, Mark Gammy. How are you, Mark? Cheers, pretty good. And uh, today we have California Filipino friend, John Garcia, joining us. Say hello, John. Hi, living the dream. Yeah. Um, so look, right, we're going to talk about motorcycles because John's mostly about motorcycles. Um, why don't we begin at the beginning with a cursed navy blue Yamaha XS650? Now, do you know this story, Mark Gammy? Uh, no. Right. When I remember when I first moved to California, I knew one person, Mark Newton, right? Mm -hmm. And Mark Newton said to me when I was first in California, um, What are you going to do about cars or? you know, bikes or like getting around. And I was like, I don't know. And he went, Oh, I've got this Yamaha XS650. If you want, it's just sat outside my shop. Now, looking back, right, that was ominous, right? Because what had happened was Mark had got pissed off with it constantly draining the battery. <laughs> but he didn't say that to me at the time, right? Mm -hmm. So I put a new battery on it. I put a new regulator rectifier on it. It was, so it's a parallel twin. It's like a Yamaha's version of a Triumph, right? And, and it was, Mark had got it from somebody at PG&E and it was the bike for flat track. That's why he thought it was, he thought it was cool. But I'd come from Jixxers. So the fact that this thing could only do about a hundred miles an hour flat out and like at about 65 or certainly anywhere near 80, it felt like the world was going to end and you were going to be plucked off the back of it and it was going to it was going to fall apart that i wasn't into older bikes then so i didn't I, not only was it cursed but i actually didn't get mm -hmm. that kind of bike then so for me the low point with this bike was was i'd done all the battery and all the regulator rectifier on it it was all ready to go mark and i were going to fleet week so we rode from Santa Rosa, him on his ex-police Harley with the high bars and the, the tank shift and the foot clutch, right? And me on this XS, right? Well, Santa Rosa is about an hour and a half north of San Francisco, right? And you've got the throttle wide open then. So the bike's generator or whatever it's charging with mm -hmm. is going like the clappers, right? Heavy traffic across the Bay Brit, uh, across the Golden Gate, right? the splitting cars across the golden gate. When I came out of the gas, it died. Right. And I bump started it, but it was clear it had no charge by the time, like I was in San Francisco. And then you, I'm not sure, John, if you know this story, Marina Green, Marina, Marina Green, Marina Green, three way intersection where good, great place to watch fleet week. Right. Well, it had stalled more times, but you know, well, the long and short was I needed to kickstart it at a stop sign, three-way intersection. And uh, I, I sort of electric started it into the intersection, but it died. And then I was trying to kickstart it, fell over and it fell on me, which I know is kind of a signature move of mine, oh, being, yeah, pinned, is, yeah. being pinned by yeah. my own motorcycle and not being able to kickstart, but that's what happened. Well, Mark parked up, and went to try and help me but a policeman was like you can't park there 
So he was like, I'm not parking there. I'm trying to help my friend. So there's me under the bike, all the traffic stopped and Mark virtually having a fist fight with the policeman. <laughs> so after all of that, right, I just left it in the marina for about a week being like, fuck <laughs> you, right, <laughs> basically. But, you know, and, and then around about the same time, I won that Jixa 750 in the SA competition, which is a whole separate story, right? Mm-hmm. And that was why I was out of love with the XS. So John feels bad for the XS, which is parked up in the street at this time of year, where it's pissing with rain all the time. And it was San Francisco, so it was on a hill. The bike was being knocked over all the time. So he feels bad for it. He puts a note on it. And the note was like, you know, it was sort of halfway between a note saying, can I buy your bike? I, I like it. And a love letter, I would have said. Right? It was like, <laughs> there were a couple of paragraphs, you know, it was like properly, it was like a properly structured thing. So I, I read it and I sat on it for 24 hours and I thought to myself, because I needed somewhere to store the jigsaw because it didn't have a garage, brand new bike, can't street park it. What am I going to do? To So then I thought, you know, any bloke who's written this kind of note is probably a trustworthy person. One, I just tell him I'll give him the XS. He can have it if I, because I want rid of the fucking thing. Um, he can have that if I can store my jigsaw with him. Um, so that's what happened. Because he, yeah. and it turned out he lived just a couple of houses up the street and, uh, I think that's the how note, we became friends. I think the note read, that's not the way to take care of a bike. That's what I remember saying, sort of. Yeah, but you expressed it in a much more gentle way. Yeah. <laughs> you weren't like, you buffoon. Yeah. This... yeah. Hey, dick nozzle, stop dropping your fucking bike on my This bike <laughs> in the street with a stream of rainbow colored gasoline and oil running down the street from it. Which is uh, which is what it was. It had mag wheels, didn't it? It had those black smoke, black spoked mag wheels and broad handlebars. It was a good looking bike, but my word, we we uh, what we think was that there was like a short circuit on the frame or something, which was why it always it eternally drained charge. So I did ride it all the way to Laguna Seca to watch MotoGP. Yeah, yeah, remember that. I remember it very well. Yeah. People tried to steal my jigsaw, yeah. sabotaging it, and I didn't get home until six o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And and what happened to you? I got stuck on the side of the freeway. <laughs> I had to work the next day. And uh, this was, <laughs> I think it was around one. Like I was stuck on the side of the freeway. With the excess? With the excess, yeah. yeah. It was dark and I, uh, I had to figure it out. Basically, I just had to wait. I had to wait it out because I didn't have a phone, right? Didn't have, well, probably did, but it's probably dead. The battery is probably dead. So I just waited, then kickstarted it, kickstarted it, kickstarted it. <laughs> and eventually it went and I wrote it home. But that took like three hours. <laughs> <laughs> That's brutal, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was a. Uh, I wonder where it is now. Yeah, you moved to Hawaii and left it. I wonder which freeway it's at the side of today. (laughs) 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 
So basically, what you're saying is you have a thing with Yamahas, huh? Getting stuck. Well, also, also, <laughs> the other thing was just like was, that scooter. <laughs> no, you, you also you, you notice the the thing that I always say to people is is if you look very closely at Dana's engagement ring, very closely into the heart of it, you will see a Yamaha R1 because that's what I was going to buy with that money. <laughs> um. So yeah, so I I missed with the uh, I missed with um, with the R one, mm-hmm. and the XS was just the most pain in the ass motorcycle ever. But yeah, I won the Jixer on account of having a Jixer at home, so that's why the garage is full of Jixers uh, fifteen years later. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me move on to my next little topic on the list. Um. And this is thoughts on electric bikes. And let's begin, John, with I did this open garage thing the other day. And uh, one of the guys on the street was like, oh, you know, Scout Troop, another dad built an electric bike. Can he come? And I was like, yeah, whatever. And then thinking he probably wouldn't show. Well, the guy did show and I didn't have enough seats and I, I didn't have enough beer and I'd not organized the, the, the evening very well. No way. But it turns out this bloke competed in the Paris Dakar, <coughs> as you do. As you do, you know, yeah. three or four years. Then he ran some teams, as you do, you know, just because, you know, did John and the other guy who rides, who's also got a home-built electric bike, did John and the other guy want to have a go on uh, on the electric bike? Now, I've not talked to you about it, but your expression was not dissimilar to when you inadvertently pulled a wheelie on a jigsaw in the street <laughs> some years ago. No, it was fine. It was a... Uh... It was very torquey and it was light. So what was it? What do you mean to what was it? What was the bike? It was like a KTM, It was a KTM 125SX. that had like a, I don't know what the size of the motor was, but it was big enough to like make it really torquey. It just, it was snappy mm. and it was clean. It was a clean, it was a clean ride. Yeah. You know what Jason said about it? The other guy that rode it was like, hmm, reminded me how much I don't like knobbly tires on wet pavement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's focusing. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, I want one. Like, I really want one. And what he was saying was, what, right. what, a bike like his or no, an electric one, bike? All he did was he... get the frame off the KTM 125. Mm hmm. Went to a website and grabbed all the parts for that bike. Well, not... what? So there's a website you can go to where you where it'll be like package up the right electric kit so you can electrify. Like I've got, I've got a TTR one two five. Can you, you know, and you buy? Well, no, you like he, an LS swap kit. No, he he had to fabricate the frame. If you have a welder, like you can easily do it, right? It's just the motor. The motor mm-hmm. fits in the frame, and you kind of have. Uh, grind it and just weld some mounts and that's pretty much it that's do you remember the it. website i guess we no, could ask him couldn't we yeah yeah that's typical for this like we talk about something and then can't point people anybody unfortunate enough to be listening can't point them to the right place to uh anyway um <laughs> well it's quite interesting um all right favorite bike of the moment and why Favorite bike at the moment? I don't mind starting. Um, I'm going to start with the CRF 50 
that we've recently bought for my boy and how I just love the way it so wants to run. It's so it's, it's the easiest bike ever to be kick-started. He can kick-start it. Yeah. And the way it runs, it's like it's like it's like a small dog with a lot of fight in them. It's like tiny, but it's a real motorcycle, make no mistake. Yeah. And 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 uh I bloody love it. So that's my favorite. For me it's the the DT two fifty converted into a cafe racer. It's raining today, but if it wasn't raining, I was going to ride it. So just so th- this, I I when I see this bike, um, Gary, I always think of it as the meth special, right? Because <laughs> like, and why don't I leave it like that? And John, why don't you talk about where you got it from? And uh, yeah, so I yeah. went to Clear Lake. Clear Lake yeah. is the we'll, meth we'll, capital. We'll put some pictures. We'll put some pictures. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking for a picture, but. Yeah. So Clear Lake is the meth capital of California, right? And when I saw this posting in Clear Lake, I was like, I want this bike. I've seen this bike several times. I know who built it. I know the parts that are on it. And basically what ended up happening was this guy on Facebook was trying to sell it. And he wasn't able to sell it for about a year. And this guy in Clear Lake bought it, put it in his living room and didn't really do anything until he had to move. But that's what he told me. And Clear Lake is about two and a half hours away from San Francisco. And I felt like I was going to get robbed, right? Because the way this guy was giving me the address, it's like it's it wasn't like a street address. It was like, we're going to meet here in this alley somewhere in like residential area slash commercial area. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to drive two and a half hours with my dog, Remus. if anything goes south (laughs) yeah he's not gonna have to deal with me he's gonna have to deal with remus also but anyway it turns out it was in his living room went to his house it was in his living room and i ended up buying it and everything was new you looked at it right in his living room yeah yeah that's how we got it out didn't you lose a girlfriend over a motorcycle in the living room I mean, that wasn't the exact reason for it. I mean, that was part, probably part of it. But that, I wish I had that bike, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> Not the girlfriend. I, the I'd, still have, I'd still have the, no, the girlfriend, too. The girlfriend, yeah. I mean, that's a, probably a toss-up. But that bike was a, that was a black bomber. It's like one of the first bikes that were imported to the U.S. in 64, 63. Mm-hmm. That was meant to compete with the uh, the British market, mm. the Black Bomber, as we call mm. it. And it was it was the Black Bomber. It had the the chrome tank sides, and the guy was moving to Japan. Mm-hmm. And he was selling all his collection, and I didn't have any space. And I asked Morgan. Morgan was the ex girlfriend. I was like, "Can we put this in the living room?" She was like, "Absolutely not." <laughs> David was like, no wonder, no wonder, like, what on earth? I mean, it's not unreasonable to ask. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's only temporary. I'm I'm always reminded of that story when when I hear about bikes in the living room. I'm always reminded of that story about a bloke who built a turbo Jixxer 750. And in the magazine interview, they said to him, why did you build a turbo? Why did you build a 750, not a 1000? 
or an 1100 and he went well the 1000s or the 1100s they'll get into the hallway but they don't make it round the corner into the <laughs> dining room. But the 750s, I can get them into the dining room. So that's why I built a 750. Legit. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good reason, right? Um, favorite rider, all time favorite rider. Me, Nikki Hayden. All three of us. Nikki Hayden. Oh, good choice. You know, I have a very, very memorable moment with Nikki Hayden. You do? Yeah, I was in a MotoGP Laguna Seca 2013. Mm -hmm. And I was working at BMW at that time, and he had given me a a pass. I thought it was a regular pass. Who had given you a pass? The general manager, Larry Sainz. Okay. At BMW. He's friends with Randy Mamola. That's cool. And um, I don't know, he has that connection. So I went with a group, right? It was like mm -hmm. this super bike freak group. And I had a buddy that was there. He was like, kind of cheesy for me mm -hmm. it's like they, they ride in the group and mm -hmm. they were all they were all handing the tickets mm -hmm. and now when it came to me i showed him the badge it's like oh you go here mm -hmm. and all of a sudden i'm you know in the lunchroom having lunch with the racers and mm -hmm. it was just like a really really good experience but anyway we were back in the paddock and nikki was there mm -hmm. right and to be honest i was really a, i still am a rossi fan you know i was waiting for rossi in front of his trailer and then Nikki comes, and um, this guy asked me to take a picture of him and Nikki. It's like, yeah, sure, you know. And he was just standing there, like, hey, do you, do you want a picture? And I was just like, he didn't say that. I'm just like, maybe that's what he was thinking, you know, because the other guy was like, oh, yeah, Nikki, can I take a picture? But super nice guy, just that small interaction. Yeah, yeah. He was just like, he took time. He was just very respectful. Mm. Yeah. I just thought he was cool. He was always cool. Whenever you yeah. saw him interviewed, he was nice and smiling and chilled out. And that year he won the championship. Um, yeah. I bet on him. He was, I think he was like 11 to two or something like that to, uh, um, odds at the start of the season. And I was like, look, this, if he's going to win it, this is the year. Cause like the Honda was really good that year. And it's like, he could do it this year. He's the number one rider there. Or he, like, he's got a fair crack of the whip. And then he did, he had a sort of period in the middle where he went on about four races back to back. He was doing really well. Um, and then there was that massive pileup, wasn't it? Was it was that the one where someone went into the into the into the brake lever and the thing went end over end? There was a lot of smashed up bikes and stuff at the start of that race. Um, but either way, is that two thousand five, two thousand six? That's when Rossi blew it, blew the engine. Yeah, it was one. Yeah, there was yeah exactly. So, but in the middle of the season, there was a reason why some people were out for a while. And I remember looking at it, thinking, well, hold on, Hayden then put the next one on pole and won it, and then put and then put the next one on pole and won it as well. And he was still four to one. I was like, I like the guy. I'm betting on him. So I bet on him. And then he built up to about a 30 something point lead. And then Pedrosa took him off when he was leading. His fucking teammate took him off when he was leading, which meant he. Yeah, yeah, no, I remember that. He it, said, I've never, I've never, I've never felt pain like that in my oh, entire life. I was ready to kill that fucking little bastard. Yeah. 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 But Rossi was like eight points in. behind, didn't he? Um, yeah, and I had two hundred and fifty quid riding on him winning it, and he—I mean, I was a Rossi fan as well. Don't get me wrong, Rossi's cool, and I thought it was really nice the way that Rossi went round and gave him a pat on the back and said in the interview afterwards, "Look, if I've got to lose, it might as well be someone I really like." So you know, yeah. it, it, it was cool, but he, that was his year, and I mean, it was, um, yeah, yeah, it was really—he was a top guy. So just from a cool factor, I think he was a yeah. Because Tony Elias knocked off Rossi, that's why he lost by five points. 
Yeah. Because he got <laughs> back on and was touring around, wasn't he? But like, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that was a good year. Yeah. Was that the one that did Bayless win the last race? Because he was chasing him down. And then afterwards, he was like, I don't need to anymore. Like second or third or whatever it was is, is going to be fine. Yeah. He's in about 17s. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, cool. It's cool. cool I was on holiday in, in Italy when the news came through about him having the accident that he had. And we were in a part of Italy where it was like in the hills and there were a lot of cyclists around. And the roads are really narrow and it I'd been just earlier in the day, it had occurred to me that if you were really meaning it on a downhill and if somebody in a car placed themselves in the wrong way, you could just come around a corner and head on a car. And I don't know exactly what happened to, to Hayden, but I knew it was, it was a cycling accident which took place in Italy whilst I was at that at that vacation. So yeah, Godspeed Nicky Hayden. Um, Gary McCoy would be the guy that I would, uh, would draw attention to. I just remember because I was getting into MotoGP at the time when he was, um, doing the two strokes and everyone else had the four strokes. And that was just an interesting, cool thing. I, I, uh, and I think if we were going to go back in time, I'd talk about Jimmy Guthrie. I feel that, that Guthrie, all the photos of Guthrie, he looks like such a tough guy and the sport was so tough. In, I feel like the 30s were interesting, right? Because the the sport was still as tough almost as it had been in the 20s and the early years. But now the bikes actually could do 100 miles an hour and more. And you know what I mean? It was uh, it was a, it was quite a thing. So, yeah. Um, Mine would be, uh, coincidentally, this guy just got a T-shirt, Joey Dunlop T-shirt. Um, for the technical aspect of it, as a technician, he didn't like other mechanics working on his bike. And if you think about it, it kind of makes you faster because you have all that confidence in yourself. You don't have to think about, well, did that guy actually torque my axle right or anything else? You know it was done right because well, it's the American car guy attitude, isn't it? Is that if you didn't build it yourself, you don't really know what you're doing. They see yeah. it as very dilettante to like have a mechanic build the car and then. Well, yeah, for him, he wanted to do it himself. He was a very good mechanic. And I think that's what made him really faster too. Well, so that's given us a pivot onto our main topic for, for, for the day, right? Which, which I is why I, I was like, I sort of interrupted, um, I'm going to say normal service, but right. It looks as if real road racing in Ireland is over. No, I don't think so. And it looks as if it looks as if it's over on the grounds of insurance. Certainly in 2023, there will not be any road racing. There'll still be the Ulster Grand Prix, the Northwest 200. There'll still be Isle of Man. But so what, and I guess for me, right, the reason why I wanted to have this round table is that I think that you've seen the beginning of the end for road racing, right? When road racing stops, it will be on the horns of insurance. So in other words, right, when somebody kills a bunch of spectators at the Isle of Man TT, then nobody will want to sure, insure that event, and that will be the end. That's my Doesn't the Max insure it? 
or beer? Well, I, I, I'm not sure, right? That's why I'm having this, like, let's... I think they, what do you I met a guy from Isle of Man, and what he said was they're actually trying to, they're expecting to grow the number of tourists from 40,000 to 500,000. 500,000 people to watch that race. That's what they're targeting, right? Jesus. But the problem that they're having is majority of the people that are there the youngest that you're going to see are all in their 40s. So it's changing. It's mostly like a different generation. Yeah, which makes the whole like Monster Garage sponsoring, you know, that Richard Rawlings toss pop sponsoring Peter Hickman. That I thought that was a really interesting uh, tie. Gary, you have sort of ethical problems with it as a blood sport nowadays, don't you? Um. I suppose on the basis that as you get older, you get a bit more sober and reflective about these things. And if you've been watching that sort of sport for a while, you've now got a list of people you supported who are dead. And that's a bit sobering. Um, you know, Dave Jeffries, love Dave Jeffries. Well, I was going to make funny you say DJ. I was going to mention DJ with, uh, with, with, but, but, but so, so, but even if, so, but even if the Isle of Man events survive, Irish road racing, the old-fashioned three, tri the triangle, the town-to-town -town triangle, where you close the roads and you do it, and, you know, the public, the local publicans make a lot more money than they otherwise would have done. And, and you know, Gammy, you've been to, I'm not even going to try and say it properly, Reims, Rams, whatever, yes. the, the circuit in France. I mean, that's the ultimate three-court triangle, three-town triangle. <clears throat> that is what motor racing used to be you know for for certainly on the continent right you can still it's drive the basically the circuit it's worth going it's, it's the end it's, it's the end of that though if if we allow irish road racing to go away and the other thing is is my understanding is the premium was four hundred thousand dollars wasn't even that much money in the grand scheme i mean in crazy well, yeah, you remember, it's like you know I'm sure it's a bit more, it, you know, it's a super professional sport and obviously the manufacturers involved and so forth. Um, but I'm not sure I would imagine, given that that number is relatively low, the margins are still reasonably tight for those guys running the teams. Um, so I so just finding an extra whatever half million or whatever it is that you ain't getting back. Um, you know, that's a pretty big hat you're going around with to beg for the extra change, isn't it? So, well, I mean, it, it is in terms of like an amateur volunteer sport, it doesn't seem like very much money in terms of how much money, you know, BMW's marketing budget is or Gas Monkey Garage's marketing budget. Yeah, but you or, just said yourself, like money. It, it's all farts like us watching it, you know. the young, If the younger kids aren't watching it, then, and if you look at what so what are the alternative products at the moment? World Superbikes, where the racing's amazing and no one dies, um, and MotoGP, where the Ducatis are amazing and generally speaking, no one dies. Um, so you know what I mean? There's there are there is racing and high skills thrills action on two wheels if you want it. Um, but I mean, look, yeah, it'll be a shame if it if it if it run if it so if it's courses up. Um, but it sort of felt like watching the BBC coverage of 
you know, stuff like the Cookstown 100 and things like that, that, I mean, they are really nagery little back roads that they are rinsing those bikes around against grass verges and stuff, you know. I, I love oh, it. dude, it's like, like yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, the two pillows they've thrown in front of the 500-year oak tree ain't saving no one. I mean, so... Yeah. <laughs> it's, that is the risk. Um, I still watch it. I love it. I mean, I, I, they're the guys are heroes, but uh, it's... Um, and lasses. There were lasses riding as well, but still. Yeah, I... I, uh, I, I, I think one thing that's interesting in our conversation is that clearly there's a difference between the Manchester United, Chelsea, 49ers, you know, New York Giants of... Uh, the Isle of Man TT and even the Northwest and, you know, the local dirt trackness of the Tandragi 100. You're looking at different kinds of, they are different events. And something I thought was, something I thought was interesting in that article that I forwarded that I'll put a link in, in the, you know, whatever. Um, in that, what it talked about was how there's a bunch of efficiencies that can be made because, you know, there's still like two bodies that look after road racing in Ireland. There's one for Northern Ireland and one for Southern Ireland. And whilst you can appreciate why that exists, you can see that that makes it much harder to like coordinate efforts together to show the kind of economies of scale that an insurance company might want to see for you to be able to, to carry on with it. I just feel like, you know, I look for signs for the end of our hobby um, you know, I believe that what will take the cars and bikes that we love off the roads is fluids. The fluids will go away first. You won't be able to get tires. You won't be able to get the right oil. That's what really will. Or, and, and gas will be harder and harder and harder to get. It'll be insurance. We'll take road rating off the road. It'll be insurance. Yeah. It, it will be administrated. It will be strangled by creeping administration. Yeah, I think the Isle of Man will survive because it's where it is and the government makes too much money out of it. So unless you get a Le Mans 55, I think it survives. All right. So let's talk about the difference between riding in England to riding in California to riding in the Philippines. Sure. So... Let's talk about the difference between California and the Philippines first. So Philippines is uh, <laughs> it's not really conducive to riding a motorcycle safely. Uh, it's uh, some jeeps specifically will go out of their way to cut you off. So it's uh, you have to be on alert. Um, I think that's the main reason why. A lot of, like the Irish guys, they talk about, I ask them, like, what makes you so comfortable riding in California? Mm -hmm. They're like, in Ireland, the roads are shitty. It's all gravel and narrow. And you get used to that, and then you get to California, it's like... Yeah, and and just just uh, uh, to that, um, you know, there is a road a couple of hours north of here called Skag Springs, yeah. which is... It feels like closed racetrack. It was built by the Army Corps of Engineers. It is wide. It curves from one hillside to another hillside. It goes fucking nowhere. 
goes to a bridge and on the other side of the bridge the road surface is shitty and there's a shitty like english b road like one-way b road kind of devon country lane kind of affair until you get out to the coast which is like fucking hours from from the spot that you are so there's no traffic on skag springs whatsoever it is the perfect it, it's like a closed racetrack isn't it it's yeah. perfectly well smooth. it kind of depends if you're coming from point stewart mm-hmm. for the first few miles it's like really shitty road like it's what you know you're describing single mm-hmm. road um but after that opens up it becomes a racetrack mm-hmm. it's all clean i was mm-hmm. actually there recently a couple of weeks ago you um you did death valley recently as well didn't you yeah 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 the thing about death valley is you don't have any reference point so if you're going fast you're not you don't it doesn't seem fast because you don't see the rush oh, it, just, it didn't see it didn't seem fast my lord yeah <laughs> i feel like when we were driving on that plane over alaska john and you're looking down at the crevasses and you're like oh, that is that 50 feet across and 500 feet down who is that 500 feet across and 10,000 I have I couldn't tell you I just don't know we flew up to Mount Denali on these nine cylinder de Havilland beavers uh-huh. seaplanes so you like took off in Fairbanks and then you flew towards the mountain the mountain looked big but really all the proportions were peculiar you I you know you thought the mountain was you know normal sized and you 20 know, miles away <laughs> but actually it was fucking huge and 200 miles away miles away yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah really uh, uh is it, a, isn't it like 22 per thousand or something like that but up from the floor whereas the it's so there's a lot of mountain right there whereas the ones in the in himalayas they're t- taller but they start from like fifteen thousand feet where everything is if you like so they're uh, at that location so but yeah it's um it was cool when you used to live in LA, did you ever used to ride um, the Canyon Roads and I out rode to the rock over. store? I rode all over. Like, you name it in LA. That's why I'm not rich. It's like, <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I rode all over LA. That's so how I you... met Tom and all the other riders. Oh, okay. You met yeah. them through bikes. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So, were you, so I used to ride Topanga a lot, which is like north. You know, which for Margie's and for and for the listeners, it's um they're breaking down the third wall. Look, it's um north from like PCH, north from the Pacific Coast, um towards uh, towards one hundred and one, like over the ridge of hills, which is separates what the San Fernando Valley from yeah. the Los Angeles Valley. Or That's whatever. where I, I live, know, San Fernando, yeah. North Hollywood, the porn yeah. capital. Yeah. <laughs> yeah dana had a friend whose roommate said to her oh i have a friend coming over we're going to make porn we'll give you a 100 bucks to go out to the cinema or you can stay and join in and i was like welcome to los angeles <laughs> welcome to fucking los angeles yeah 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 i remember when i used to live there i went to a pet store i was with my cousin um, you met him, Gerald. The, the, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was at a pet store. We were in a pet store, and um, you were looking at this small snake, right? It's like a red, red-tailed boa. It's like the the golden retrievers of snakes. Because my cousin wanted to get one, and he was holding the snake. And this one 
this one dude is like, oh, I always wanted to get one, but my mom didn't really want me to get one. You know, it's just, it's just black dude with a hat. <laughs> and we started chatting. It's like, yeah, well, you know what? Sometimes you just, it's better to just get it. It's like, yeah, I don't know what my mom's going to say. And then he leaves, right? Yeah. And then my, my, my cousin was just, do you know who that is? It's like, I don't know who that is. That's the porn guy. <laughs> oh. Dude, yeah. I don't know who that guy is, but. The porn guy gave, gave advice on snakes. I suppose that's appropriate. <laughs> like... <laughs> but it was just like a regular guy. But he... Yeah. 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 It, it definitely, yeah, it definitely is the do the go to business in the San Fernando Valley, isn't it? It's, uh, um, Angelis Crest. Did you ride that road? Yeah, I always that rated was, that road. Yeah, more no, than... that, that was the first time I actually slid going fast. Like I slid right after coming out of a tunnel, and I just picked up maybe I just picked up the R one at that time, so I'm not I wasn't that used to it that that, that much power yet. Um, and when you go through a tunnel at a fast pace, there's a crosswind at the end. And that's when I felt it slid, mm-hmm. right? And I told my buddy Tom, it's like, yeah, man, I felt it. I was like, wow, probably mm-hmm. a few feet. It's like, yeah, man, you, you kind of have to get used to it. That's what he said. Mm. Like, yeah. Mm. But that is a really, really fast, fun ride. Yeah. Um, Mulholland, too much traffic. All the history, but too much traffic. Um, I have enjoyed Mulholland. I many, many years ago um, watched an MMA fight and then drove out along Mulholland late at night and Mulholland was good. And I saw how it was, you know, years ago when it was the place. But, but I think, um, I think Angeles, because it's quiet, it's an asshole to get to because it's quiet in the LA area. Yeah. That's probably the, the, the best road. And Gammy, if you're in Los Angeles, that, that road is worth looking out and, uh, and, and driving. Not least because it's rather like Topanga Canyon in, in the, you'll be like, hang on a minute, I've seen that corner in that car advert, like in that Lexus advert, like, oh yeah, like that's like, you can, uh, you, you can offer it. It's because uh, all the you know media companies are in LA, so they're near, you know, nearby. So they all go to the same uh, same spot. So um, on the theme of the canyon roads, um, wanted to 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 share this old chestnut with you. Um, you remember, um, I have a CBR that CBR six hundred race bike that used to be down in LA all the time. I used to ride the canyon roads with Mark. Mark used to have like a six fifty. Uh, X, uh, XR650, like a super motarded Baja bike, like a Honda 650, like a beast of a thing. I couldn't kickstart it, but I mean, wheelie, wheelie machine, but only do about 85 miles an hour flat out. So I would ride the canyon roads with, 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 uh, with him. One day we're riding, we come around one corner, right? And I'm paying attention because there's a lot of gravel on the road and I'm not right. And I'm riding very much with, within myself right and um, on one of the turnouts there's a chick with a zx6 a lady a female rider with a zx6 parked up at the side right and and mark's gotten a long way ahead of me so as as i drop down towards pch at the end of 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 the road there is a cop who comes past me at a high rate of knots and mark 
is stopped at the side, uh, is stopped at the corner. So I hop off. Mark spoke, has spoken to the cop and said to me, did I see anybody pulled over at the side of the road? And I was like, yeah, there was like, and he was like, how many people? And I was like, one. He was like, yeah, I thought I only saw one person as well. Um, it was a girl, right? And I was like, yeah, with a ZX6. And he went, yeah, her husband had a ZX10. They reckon he's gone off the edge. That's, uh, <laughs> that's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so uh, I, I, I remember riding back along PCH there thinking, you know, you were right when you saw some gravel on the road just to pick it up and let Mark get way ahead of you. You know, you were right to just, uh, just, just relax. So I'm going to, um, um, whilst we're talking about riding these, these Canyon roads, um, when Mark lived up in Topanga, um, we were on Topanga making our way up towards the house. It had been out, it was sort of lunchtime. And uh, in that moment, sweeping around a corner, there was maybe a hundred yards straight. And at the corner, there was like a, uh, where we, the road bore, we, we'd gone to the left, the road was going to bear to the right. It was, a, as I say, uphill, hundred yards maybe. We'd come out of the turn and we're climbing up the hill. Um, uh, and, and there's shops over on the left and, and so on. And then there is a bag of Harley upside down, flying through the air, landing on the back of a Volvo station wagon. I mean, landing like in the trunk space of the Volvo station wagon. I, I mean, and then there's a bloke tumbling. And, and the next thing I know, we're like at the car park, at, at the parking lot, and Mark's out of the parking lot and dealing with the guy who miraculously wasn't hurt. It seemed just didn't know how to lean a motorcycle over. He'd just flown in from another part of America and had ridden dirt bikes before, but not a Harley. So we learned this afterwards. Um, the woman, a woman came along. I was like, there when I was like stood around like a spare part when the woman with the Volvo came out of the supermarket and was like when there's like a gog when she sees like the Harley has basically merged with uh, quite nice actually previously Volvo 940 wagon so that's uh, so the upside down Harley um, and, and I have another upside down motorcycle story many years ago Mark the A4, your stomping ground. So this is a great thing when you're riding in Europe. If they've built a motorway or an auto route or some main highway, especially if it's a toll road, if you ride the roads parallel to it, they're often really quiet, but they're really good sweeping roads. And the A4 parallel to the M4 is, is one of those. It's a well-known biker road. I used to live not far from it, so I used to get be on it. Um, quite often I was riding home one day um, and I, I want to say near Hungerford but I'm not really sure that that, that it was and, and Gammy you might have heard me tell this story before is that, that I was, I'm on my back of Yellow Jigsaw my first bike I'm approaching uh, a turn and as I'm approaching a turn I see a group of bikers standing around 
I don't know what it was that made me stop, but I did stop. And they were all, as I pulled over, they were all like looking over above me. And as I got off the bike, I realized there were three guys, but only two bikes. And then I looked over my shoulder and there in the tree, upside down, was a Honda Fireblade, like a 2002, 2003, like what we'd call in America, a 954 mm -hmm. blade with the lights that are upside down in the tree, black and yellow in the tree. I'm like, how the fuck did that happen? They're like, we don't know. The bloke's like, they're like, they're like, this is the bloke that rode here. I'm like, how the fuck did that happen? He's like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm still walking. Like, look, I'm, my arms, look. And he's like a bit scuffed up and there's a scuff on his helmet. But he's like, look, look, he's still like, like, like buzzing from being like, this bike is not like, you know, it's like 15 feet off mm. the ground. He's not falling out of the tree. It is in the tree, like, you know, like in the tree. So there we go. Those are my two um, upside down bike stories. Um, John, you have, you said you mentioned earlier you work for BMW. Mm -hmm. um, we're sitting here looking at one of your Honda CBs. There's three more in one of my storage units. I don't know how many you have around your different facilities. <laughs> um, Hon CB or BMW, which and why? What are the pros and cons? It kind of depends what you're going to do. If you're going to be long distance riding, it's hands down BMW. I mean, they're just, I, I like them both. It's just depending on what you're going to do. Um, as far as touring, it's hands down BMW just because of all the safety features, you know, all the things that you read up, read on the newspaper. It's like confidence inspiring, ABS, traction control, all those safety features. They do work. And they come in handy, but I'd say favorite bike or just between CB, Honda or BMW. Favorite? Yeah, bike? if there could be only one, if you had to get rid of all the CBs and could have yeah. only BMWs, or if you had to get rid of all the BMWs and could have only CBs, which would it be? I'd keep them both. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can't just have one, John. That's the problem that I have. And thank you for keeping some of the bikes. <laughs> All right. Let's do these quick fires and then we can uh, can wrap this up. Okay. Um, All right. So quick fire. Um, what was your first bike? Honda Cub 90. Awesome. RG250 two-stroke Suzuki. And uh, O2 GSXR 600, that black and yellow one was the first bike I ever had. What a sensible place to start that was. What was the last bike you bought? Last. So I'm in a moratorium right now, so it might take some time. I think the last bike I bought was that scooter. <laughs> I think that was it. Which scooter? The one that you have. The Zuma? That yeah. was the last one you bought? I think so. Hmm. What was the last bike you bought? The CBR, Gammy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The CBR 600, yeah. The last one I bought was the Zuma as well. Oh, no, it was the last one I bought. No, the last one I bought was Ollie's CRF. Yeah. 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 
Um, all right. And the next question. Um, all right. Now, the one that got away. Story of one that got away. Let me tell you the one that got away. You're the guy on your street that used to do the road racing, Neil. Neil, yeah, yeah, yeah. Neil had a 99 Hayabusa. And I wasn't riding at the time. And I looked at that bike and I was tempted to buy it even though I wasn't riding at the time and I wish I bought it because that he wanted $3,000 for it. And those bikes have just left the building ever since that was a 99 bike. One of the original yeah. ones that yeah, could do yeah. two. No, I remember that, day. that was, that, I remember that day. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, in the world of motorcycles. I don't have too many that have got away, but that one was one that got away. For me, it was a black bomber in Hawaii. The 64 black bomber Honda. Yeah. 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 The one I wanted to put in the living room. Yeah. All right. Um, best bike you ever owned, Mark? Um, probably the CPR, to be honest. It's just brilliant at everything. Um, and really, like, all top-end fizzy. And I know it's, like, not that much power, really, by modern bike standards, but... It's so lovely handling. It really is. Um, yeah. Although in my heart, it's probably still the Honda C90. I love that bike. I used to rode that all weathers, snow, farm through shit and all sorts of stuff. We took it dirt tracking. It was amazing. Best bike you've ever owned, John? BMW R1200GS. BMW. Isn't that the one you got rid of because of the it, you associated it with a particular lady friend who didn't quite work out the way you were <laughs> sort of yeah yeah but in general the 1200 gs is just like such a very very civilized ride it doesn't make you a hooligan it's very capable but it's uh it kind of suits my personality i like the way it rides it's precise yeah and it's uh it's a very smooth ride yeah um I think the best bike I own is the two grand 05 Jix 1000 K5 that I have. I think as an all-rounder, I just, I the, there is a reason why people go on and on about them. Yeah. And it's because it's got everything that the earlier Jixxers have in terms of the, you know, terrifying license losing, like, you know, line of cocaine performance. But it's packaged up in a way that you can sit on it and ride it easily and the fueling works properly and you know you can i i uh, i used it i i tried to fire up the moped to do a run down to the post office just earlier this week and the moped wouldn't kick and i was just like it's not taxed and i was like fuck you and really? Fuck you, Yamaha again, right? I had visions of that XS650. And I fired up I fired up that black jigs of thousand. And I rode it down there. And you know what, Mark Gammy? This is the first time. <laughs> three gigs for a dollar. It's gonna start up in three gigs. I've got it running since. Okay. Right? I'm not taking that bet. I'm just making the point that once again, <laughs> the Yamaha that I bought in order to have a moped that worked doesn't. And the Jigsaw. Uh -huh. that's done fifty five thousand miles and so on i rode it down into the post office and back you know i didn't get into third gear i did take second you know just for 
but you know then i decided i preferred the engine braking of first and and you know so yeah so that's my favorite bike at the moment um well that's my uh uh the best bike i've owned what is the worst uh, i mean that yeah xs is the worst bike i've owned i mean how much time do you guys have? <laughs> <laughs> i don't think you want to hear it like uh, <laughs> um, yeah all that what about you um oh let me do... i've had that many bikes i mean i've had a zx6r but that was a great bike I don't think I've ever been faster for fifteen hundred pounds. I mean, it was a, it, I think it night with with the slip on. It had ninety nine point eight horsepower. The guy said to me, "We ran it twice on the dyno. We really wanted a hundred for you, but it wouldn't get there." I'm like, "Shit!" <laughs> but uh, yeah, so ninety six, ninety six. It was a bit set up and bag, wasn't it? But our monster exhaust, and it was in the right green. Oh yeah, and comfy, man. And it handled pretty well. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing about that era of bike is they are significantly more comfortable than, um, you know, we're not Jigs and 750s from that era. They're really bloody uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. But, lower pegs um, and stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not just the pegs, it's the handlebars and yeah. the, the whole, like, seating position is you, you feel like you're on a medieval rack with them. Um, uh, all right, final question. If you could ride like anyone, who would it be? I'll go first. Gary McCoy. I mentioned him before. The way that bloke could slide it, the confidence, the swagger. If I could ride like anyone, it would be Gary McCoy. Mm, I mean, I don't want to sound arrogant. Obviously, I want to ride with... I admire a lot of people who ride a certain way. Like Rossi, Dunlop, and all the other racers. But honestly, I want to ride like myself. Like I don't. Good answer, John. Good answer. Well, oh, I'd pick some one of the Dakar boys, um, Sam Sunderland, or some you know someone like that. I mean, on the basis of that, I think that's such a transferable skill that I don't have any of really at the moment. Or at least you know, I mean, if they're in the they're up at the Himalaya tops, I'm down in yeah. You know, footling around in the, in the, uh, but in the, in the, in the foothills. Um, so yeah, I just think that'd be a real sort of a, a instant, uh, matrix style download of a skill set. That'd be pretty cool to have that, have that uploaded. All right. Well, gents, mm -hmm. thanks for your time today. Yeah. Until the next time. Cheers.